listeners, we're back once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu Mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits like the Dreamlands, or things of a weird nature, or things that are Lovecrafty and leaning, weird fiction, science fiction, horror, learn of terrible meetings in lonely places, of cyclopean ruins, and vast staircases that lead down to abysses of nighted secrets, of complex angles that lead through invisible walls to other regions of space and time, and of hideous explorations in remote and forbidden places on other worlds and in different time-space continua. From the creation of our galaxy to the death of the sun, this is an exploration of the Cthulhu mythos from the perspective of humans' concept of history. We are the people's guide to the Cthulhu mythos. You can find us at pgttcm.com, pgttcm.podbean.com, and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. The People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos starts now. This episode's brought to you by BunnySlippers.com. And hey, check out their Highland Cow Slippers. They're super fuzzy, super woolly bulls. They're pretty cool. I think I, I think I think you'll like them. I think I think you'd think they're great. I think you should check out BunnySlippers.com right now. You, you're right by a computer. Check out what they've got. You're they're gonna ship it to you, and you're gonna have the warmest, snuggliest feet ever more than likely I'm not going to guarantee anything I don't, you know bunnyslippers.com Hey everyone, welcome back to a brand new episode of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos I'm your host D.B. Spitzer and remember, you can always check us out at pgttcm.com and look for us anywhere on social media as PGTTCM or Black Clock Audio Tales, our weekly show. It was doing daily, but figured, hey, I'll release all the weekly episodes in one day. So, you know, then people can follow along. Anyway, so hey, I hope you liked the classic intro from the show. That was from like season eight. Season eight? Uh, back when Sarah was still helping out on the show. Anyway, she's got so much uh, work stuff going on between TaskRabbit and the kids in the house and stuff like that. I decided not to drag her into the show anymore. But here we are with season series series 11. We don't have seasons. We have series. And oh boy, what a series 11 episode we have. This episode, we are going to be talking about what to do for fun. We asked Ken Height some ideas for uh, what to do during lockdown. Uh, We also talk about some brain parasites, the insects from Shagai, and they call themselves the Sean. And also, uh, Dave is going to be talking about uh, Ramsey Campbell, uh, the uh, infected mind that came up with the insects from Shagai uh, in his youth. So... Yeah, let's jump into this. Let's get going with some People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. We're going to talk to Ken Hite. We're going to hear from David Heath. 
and we're going to have some fun time. So I hope you're all doing well. I hope you're day 10, day 12, day 15 of your quarantine is going well. You're not going outside. You're being smart. You, I don't know, maybe planned ahead for a pandemic like I do. Uh, you know, um, paranoia, food preparation, you know, go hand in hand. So, I mean, I'm not bragging, hey, I got a freezer full of, uh, summer sausage, but I am bragging, hey, I've got more plum jam than, and quince paste than you know what to do with and I know what to do with. All right. Uh, here we go with some, uh, insects from Shigai and Ken Height. Okay, here we go. Hey everyone, welcome back to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, and today we have Ken Height via Skype talking about the insects uh, from Shigai uh, by Cam- uh, Ramsey Campbell. And yeah, hey, hey Ken, how are you? Uh, how are you doing? Uh, doing all right. Um, uh, you know, uh, the social round has compressed itself down to around my house yeah. over and over, but we're doing all right. Good uh, Chicago at this time seems to be uh, not a hot zone, although obviously we're all under lockdown and taking care anyway to make it stay not a hot zone. Yeah. Um, So we'll see. I mean, uh, so far so good, like the man said as he jumped off the 10-story building. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Good to hear. Good to hear. Um, Yeah, so... Today we're talking about, as I said earlier, the insects from Shigai. Ramsey Campbell, uh, like what I know is Ramsey Campbell wrote about those guys. They've been in a lot of books and uh, they're about the size of a pigeon. They go into your head and uh, their slaves are broccoli people. How much of that's Mm -hmm. correct? (laughs) That seems seems roughly correct. I mean, uh, to begin with, I always like to give a shout out to the man, my man, H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, who coins the word Shagai. Uh, uh, Campbell did not invent Shagai. Okay. Uh, and it is, if you remember, in Haunter of the Dark, Oh yeah. Um, we, li- we hear a bunch of uh, stories that were written by Robert Blake before he uh, moves to uh, Providence. Mm-hmm. and Or while he's in Providence, even. He, he writes these horror stories. And the things are like um, the stairs in the crypt. And one of the stories is Shagai. Mm-hmm. And I always imagine, and I have no evidence whatsoever, that this is Lovecraft um, sort of giving Block credit for uh, Chamblot, which of course was C.L. Moore's amazing uh, story about a space vampire. Mm-hmm. And I always thought, uh, Lovecraft starts with, you know, Chamblot and says, man, that's a good story. But I can't have um, uh, Bl- Robert Blake write that because Block didn't write it. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll just uh, put my traditional double G in there and it'll be Shablo, Shagblo, Shaggle, Shagai. There we are. And he, <laughs> and he writes it down. So I, the, the, the sort of the one uh, weird name title makes me just always think of Shamblo when I read it. Mm-hmm. Um, that I have no justification for that whatsoever, except it looks good. Um, and because more people should read Shamblo, quite frankly. But okay. uh, but he writes Shagai. Uh, the word puts it into Blake's uh, uh, oeuvre, and then Ramsey Campbell, like every nerd uh, before or since, is racketing through Lovecraft, finding something that no one has touched yet that he can make his own, stumbles on Shagai, uh, sees, I believe, a mention of uh, the paintings that Blake does, Mm -hmm. one of which is an alien world, and says, 
oh, what if Shagai is the name of that alien world? Now I can, uh, now I have a, a planet. Uh, and what happens on planets? Aliens happen on planets. And what happens if aliens, they invade Earth. And how are they going to invade Earth and be interesting? Oh, they'll be uh, photosynthetic uh, pigeon insects and they'll fly into people's brains and take them over and it'll be uh, like a, a body snatchers type story. And, um, and and so then he writes The Insects from Shagai and he writes it uh, in, I want to say 1964, way back in that first uh, blast of his Lovecraftian fiction mm-hmm. when he is 20, maybe? Um, he's super young when he writes Inhabitant in the Lake um, uh, and, and Lesser P- Oh my God, no. He's... Um, uh, yeah, he writes in Heaven in the Lake when he is 18. Jeez. He's not even 20. So, uh, and again, they are great stories, but Ramsey Campbell will write greater stories. They are amazing stories for an 18-year-old. They are better than average Cthulhu Mythos stories by any measure. And uh, C- Campbell then writes things like the Franklin paragraphs, which just bury them all. But uh, The Insects from Shagai is one of that sort of just first fertile burst of creativity that most of us just use in our Call of Cthulhu games and we're fortunate enough that Ramsey Campbell put it into fiction and got uh, August Derleth to publish it and so that um, uh, that sort of uh, burst of adolescent creativity and I mean that in the in the good way not the bad way mm-hmm. uh, gives us these just re- uh, where Lovecraft builds his aliens and I think I've said this before maybe even on the show cubistically right Mm -hmm. a bunch of different impressions that all add up to in theory the same thing but when you look at it you're like well maybe they don't is that a bull or a lady or a guitar i don't know (laughs) um that's if you're looking at a cubist painting if you're looking at a lovecraft story it's nothing so nice as a lady or a guitar um and so what i think lovecraft did with that sort of very careful artistic uh almost artisanal approach uh, Campbell just did out of this explosion of dark creativity. And so he just has so many good ideas for the insects that he puts them all down together. And so they approach the same uh, effect on you as, say, the Migo do, because mm-hmm. the Migo are famously, they're not crustaceans, they're not fungi, they're not this, they're not that. They're very much Lovecraft's uh, uh, overlay of thing. Yeah. Whereas Campbell is like, they're the Migo, but they're inside you already. And also they're insects. And also they're from Shagai. And also they photosynthesize. And also they're telepathic. And also they're trying to build a rocket ship. And he just, um, uh, and they worship <laughs> as the thought. And he just has a million great ideas. And because he is a genius, even when he's 18, they don't sound terrible. They sound great. And so the insects sort of, I think, caught everyone's attention. They're one of the uh, best stories in the collection, I think, is Insects from Shagai, although it's a it's it's a good collection with a lot of strong stuff in it, mm-hmm. um, but the trouble is, he he burned himself out on it so early that I, I imagine that if you're Ramsey Campbell and you're looking back as an adult at what you wrote at eighteen, you, you can probably even barely you're so embarrassed that this was just you basically like vomiting sweat and blood and uh, fluids out into the page with with barely any conception of of proportion or or art at all. And then everyone is reading it and telling you how much they like it. And it's, oh my God, that's so embarrassing. Like my good stuff now. <laughs> and, and so um, uh, so he hasn't really gone back to them. Mm-hmm. He's gone back to Goatswood, right? And mm-hmm. to the, the Severn Valley off and on. But even, 
even, you know, for a, a 20, 30 years, he was not even going back to the Severn Valley. That was like, oh, that was, I had a, that, that was like where, you know, we went on spring break and it was super embarrassing and you can't go back to, you know, <laughs> South Padre Island, much less that bar um, uh, <laughs> ever again. Um, and, and so I, I, I see the insects of Shagai not only as the sort of 1960s post Jack Finney, post Body Snatchers version of the Mego, mm -hmm. because of course uh, the Body Snatchers are, um, are are Jack Finney taking Lovecraft's uh, idea of alien infiltrators and giving it another turn, mm -hmm. and then this is uh, Campbell coming onto both of those ideas and, and blending them, um, and keeping them that in that very um, uh, uh, that sort of Lovecraftian shriek that he developed uh, so early in Inhabitant of the Lake. And then these the, this this concept is literally everything horrible. It's bugs, it's loss of identity, it's Cthuloid, it's slavery, it's sadism, it's all the things, you, all these terrible things just in one monster. And so that's, that, it, the insects are almost too good, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. it, it's like Dracula, right? I mean, <laughs> Dracula's... Not just a vampire. He's a he's an alchemist. He's a warlord. He's a, a conspirator. He's got you know teams of guys that go around killing for him. Dracula's like such an enormous concept. He barely fits into his own novel, and so you get the insects from Shigai, which are almost that big and that rich and that powerful a concept, and they're jammed into one little short story. So, I mean, I, I it's 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 not surprising that. They the, the the short story reads so sort of um, so sort of lush and highly colored is because he's got so much creativity jammed into it all at once, right? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. There, there's so many so many horrible symbols um, th th that happen, and yeah, they they have their their hideous um, uh, uh, vegetable uh, slaves, uh, the beings from Zikarf, I think is what they are, right? Something is like that, that or Zicoli or something. Zicoli? Something, something like that. it ends with an I, I think, or a Z or... <laughs> I think Zikarf may be a, a, a Smith thing. I okay. may be wrong. Zaclodal. Zaclodal. They okay. They're the beings from Zaclodal. And they're um uh and they're sort of big, uh hideous monsters. Um and they uh and they're I I think I think you're right. I think they're vegetables that eat people. They're like the reverse of um and and I again I think the beings from Zakarf are or Zaclodal I I'm going to say Zakarf forever because Smith um <laughs> the beings from Zaclodal I think are uh Campbell saying oh yeah you think the elder things are tough Lovecraft uh big tall vegetables well, what if my aliens control big tall vegetables what about that huh <laughs> yeah. take that Howard and and then and that sort of um uh, and and again, when I when I call it adolescent, I am using it in a as a term of praise and a term of art. Mm -hmm. This is not me putting uh, for God's sake. This is not me putting down Ramsey Campbell, who is easily one of the two or three best horror writers still working. Yeah, uh, he's an amazing talent. Should be reverenced by all. Uh, but the but the stories, I mean, are literally adolescent, and that they're that burst of of masculinity and creativity and insanity that we all had. Uh, and again, like I say, we all put it into our Call of Cthulhu campaigns and it, and it went away. Mm -hmm. um, and he put it into uh, timeless fiction. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think that the beings from Zaclodal, um, uh, that, that sort of act as their servitor race, 
uh, and again, how great is it that they bring their servitor race with them to Earth? It's pretty great. To stamp around and do horrors. That's fun. I like that. Yeah, it's nice to have something else in a Call of Cthulhu campaign that you can be like, oh, I thought it was a tree, but it wasn't. <laughs> right. I mean, the um, uh, uh, obviously uh, the, the the sort of the 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 greatest thing that has happened to the insects after Campbell mm -hmm. is that Delta Green got a hold of them. Yeah. And I don't know if this was Dennis or uh, Scott or or Tynes that um, came up with the idea, but the notion that um, they've taken over, uh, spoilers, they've taken over the, the, the British Delta Green Pisces uh, by dint of uh, taking over their minds when Pisces went up against them Innsmouth style mm -hmm. is, it's just magnificent. It's so good. And it's so res resonant with like Kim Philby and the fact that the British just, especially in the sixties had ridiculously bad uh, OPSEC and terrible, terrible security against yeah. being infiltrated. It just resonates on, on a spy novel level. It resonates on a science fiction level. It's got a hammer films feel to it. It's, it's something, and again, I, I, I love Scott and Dennis and, and Tynes, all of them so very much, but it's the same adolescent creativity. It's that mm -hmm. same spirit of, oh, you think this is cool? Well, what if even worse thing? But what um, if with guns? With guns. <laughs> what if with their spies too? And and so the notion that the Shan, uh, which is the name of the insect from Shigai, I don't know if we covered that. They're called the Shan. Uh, well, you know, if if you're if you're nasty, <laughs> um, they uh, uh, that they've taken over the uh, this this arm of the British security state is is just genius. Um, yeah, and that's uh, Delta Green Countdown, I believe. Yeah, that's what establishes it. That's where we hear about Pisces, and then we hear immediately that um, uh, they've uh, already uh, um, fallen. And then so you're reading, oh, thank God, there's another. Oh, yeah, of course, it's, yeah. it's even worse. <laughs> this was bad news. I forgot I was in the Delta Greeniverse, and and the and the fact that it's something that um, uh, that is that, that is cool and makes things worse make me suspect it might have been Dennis, but mm -hmm. I. I, I I don't want to say for sure. And I'm sure that way back in the day, it was all three of them bouncing ideas back and forth off of each other. Um, but I, uh, but I do, I, I do love the, the Delta green use to them. They're the other people have used the Shan. I think we've talked about, you know, there's a Keith Herbert mm -hmm. adventure somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's other Shan stories, but I think a lot of them are just sort of, they're good or, or not, but the, the sort of the inspired use of the Shan is to then take all of that contraries of fears that Campbell is expressing and then add to it that political dimension that uh, that happens in Delta Green. I, I love it. I think it's terrific. It's fun stuff. Fun stuff. If uh, someone likes the... If, if uh, someone likes Ramsey Campbell's uh, inhabitants or... Uh, Oh, not uh, mix up my titles here. Uh, oh goodness, uh, insects from Shigai. If people like that, I mean, this seems like a very, very broad question. What else do you recommend that people may not have ran across? Well, I definitely recommend um, uh, going into the further Campbell universe. Okay. Uh, the Franklin paragraphs may be one of the greatest horror stories. Ever. It's it's in top twenty easily. It's easily one of the top five uh, 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 Campbell stories in my experience. It it and it, it it's sort of the thing that marks 
his shift from I'm going to be Lovecraft but louder and British mm-hmm. to I'm going to be my own amazing talent. And I would I would start there. I would read the Franklin paragraphs, um, which is uh, it, it's it's uh, it's metafictional. It's multi-layered. It's like Borges. It's it's so good. And then um, there's a ton of other great Campbell. Um, uh, I think there's one called The Darkest Part of the Forest that is uh, a really good. And so if you're into the trees that are bad, mm-hmm. um, uh, you should you should uh, get on that one. Um, cool. But then, I mean, there's so much uh, uh, rich, beautiful stuff um, in, in Campbell. Um, uh, a lot of it is, it, it, you know, he goes into sort of the, the post-Robert Block um, uh, uh, psychological horror and... I don't know that you follow. I mean, you can see that the Shanna related to his various serial killers mm-hmm. because of the sadism uh, quality of them. Um, but I don't know that it's like the natural net next step is to go to, you know, the doll his mother or the face that must die. They're, they're really good, but they're not supernatural. They're not weird. They're, um, uh, they're, they're great psychological horror stories about, you know, serial killers. They're not, you know uh the, the rest of that stuff um but uh you read um uh the midnight sun mm-hmm. i think is another good one um it it's one of those that i think when you read it i respond maybe to the novel that i think ramsey campbell wanted it to be instead of the novel that it actually came out as i think that it's a novel whose idea is so good and so strong that it's it, it sort of carries the novel there's another one i think called um ancient images that's about the, the search for a lost uh, a horror film uh, uh, Midnight Sun is is very uh, uh, Arthur uh, McInney um, okay. and and, uh, and and has a lot of that uh, Darkest Part of the Woods has also got some strong Mackin um, uh, because it's that sort of horror of the country mm-hmm. um, and so uh, I would I would say that um that's that's one ancient images again is is one that I wanted to be better than I think it was and I still loved it. The plotting is very very strong, and the you know when you actually get to the fireworks factory it's amazing. But I think that he sort of put himself into a into a genre the sort of you know um, artifact hunt uh, mm-hmm. genre that is maybe not it, it's too structured for what I think are Campbell's real great strengths. All right. Um, but I love it. I mean, I love ancient images. I I, 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 venerate it. I think it's a terrific book. But I'm. This is me responding to it emotionally. Me and my sort of critical ivory tower, like I have a right to talk about Ramsey Campbell, um, <laughs> is that it's it's something that I think is is a little too constrained for its form. But I but I really liked it. Um, and again, if you're if you're into the sort of Mackinny creepity, um, uh, uh, Campbell. Um, I would say, you know, he's got a, a bunch of uh, of short story collections that are out now, um, and you can sort of uh, go back around through and and see if there's something that that, that pings you, and then go find the novel that he wrote the, about the same time. Oh, cool. Might be the way to go if you're if you're really looking for it. Um, uh, um, and he's he's also a great critic, which I think a lot of great horror authors become, and he's got uh, some terrific collected criticism. So if you're interested in that, um, uh, uh, dig those out. Cool. Cool. Well, thanks, Ken. 
Hey everyone, we're back. And just let you know, that was me with Ken Height, as, as you know, and you can check out Ken and Robin talk about stuff. Uh, you can check out Trail of Cthulhu, Pelgrane Press. You can just Google Ken Height. Go to Drive Through RPG, Google his name, find out all the stuff that he's been in. Support game designers that you like and respect. Ken Height's one of the best. And we're going to be talking to him later about what he's doing during the pandemic to keep himself busy. And uh, someone who I know is keeping themselves busy out on their goat farm is David Heath. And we're going to talk to David Heath right now about Ramsey Campbell and his, uh, I don't know, Ramsey Campbell-verse? Okay, or his, his, his version of the Cthulhu Mythos? Here we go, Dave. Hi, my name's David Heath. And I write a blog called Dave's Corner of the Universe, as well as have a podcast called Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans. And sometimes I really believe the producer of this show, he sits around and he thinks, what is the most obscure thing that I think Dave might know a little bit about that we can get him to talk about? And today we're going to talk about the difference between Lovecraft Country and Campbell Country. Now, when I say Lovecraft Country, I'm talking about the trope and the concept, not Matt Ruff's incredible collection of stories called Lovecraft Country, which, um, you know, that uh, HBO is going to be doing a uh, miniseries on during the summer, which I'm sure we're going to be talking about on my show, at least, if not on several other shows, because that really is kind of my favorite book right now. So before we get too far, we need to sort of cover a few things. And the first of all, what exactly is the trope Lovecraft Country? And that is the New England, the creepy backwoods setting that Lovecraft created for most of his stories. You may know Lovecraft spent most of his life in Rhode Island. Yet, much of his stories are set in Massachusetts because he said that was just the creepiest, eeriest forest that he'd ever been in. He created this map and this world or this area based on the Mescatonic Valley. Uh, and he put cities like Arkham, Innsmouth, Kingsport, uh, Dunwich, and where he basically took real cities like Salem and said, well, what if the witches were real? And it becomes Arkham. He takes his beloved Brown University, which is in Providence, Rhode Island, and he turns it into Miskatonic University. Now, not everything he wrote is set there, but a good percentage is. I mean, so, you know, Mountains of Madness, of course, take place in Antarctica. Uh, the Statement of Randolph Carter takes place in Florida. And he even goes into England in uh, The Rats of the Wall. And, you know, he does good enough job in these other places. But, he, especially Antarctica, which, you know, honestly... Everybody was guessing what the interior of Antarctica looked like at the time. But you can really see, and he does this painfully detail of, of the place that he loved and lived and understood 
he may have had sort of this biased view of the poor people of the area, but he understood the land, the area, what it looked like, the legends, and the pure eeriness. And Lovecraft Country is not just restricted to Lovecraft. We see that Stephen King creates uh, Salem Lot, but before that it was Jerusalem's Lot in a short story which sort of ties Salem Lot to the Cthulhu myth of Joe Hill, who uh, is Stephen King's son. He sets his comic book, uh, Lock and Key, in Lovecraft Country, and he calls the, um, the you know the county that it's in Lovecraft. The seventies gothic soap opera, Dark Shadows, is it's got this very Lovecraft Country feel to it. Ironically, Matt Ruff's novel Lovecraft Country doesn't take place in New England. It takes place in Illinois and Ohio. He's using the term in a different meaning, not a physical location, but as a setting to sort of set it up with comparing the mythos to the 1950s Jim Crow laws. And so he's purposely sort of changing this. Um, now, Ramsey Campbell, when he was 16, was writing to um, August Derleth, and he was being published in Arkham House. Ramsey Campbell was a huge Lovecraft fan, and he wanted to be part of that Lovecraft universe. That's why he was publishing out of Arkham House. And the second best thing that Derleth ever did for the Cthulhu Mythos, besides creating Arkham House, and I even put this before creating the name Cthulhu Mythos, is he basically told Ramsey Campbell to don't set these stories you're writing in faraway America. Set them in your own back door. Set them in England. And he basically created Campbell Country. Now, if you go on the My Holy Writ of website, uh, TV Tropes, you'll see that the term for the trope, Campbell Country, not only is for setting in England, but any sort of Lovecraftian concept that's set up in a different area. So even uh, it considers William Pugmire's writing, which are take place in, you know, the state of Washington, they consider that also uh, Campbell Country. So my main sources, I've read almost all of Campbell's short stories, but I've sort of read them in different anthologies at different times. I haven't really sort of pulled them all together and read them just as Campbell. Uh, so my main two sources here I've got that for Campbell Country both come from Chaosium Publishing. And one of them is a short story collection called Made in Goatswood. And this is a collection, there's only actually one Campbell story in it. The rest are other people writing stories that are inspired by the area and the location that Campbell created. So, just as we see 
Lovecraft inspiring Ramsey Campbell, it comes full circle. Ramsey Campbell is now inspiring others to write in his sandbox, to write like he wrote, to write with the monsters and the creatures that he created. My second source book is for uh, by Chaos, and it's for the Call of Cthulhu game, and it's uh, Ramsey Campbell's Goatwood and Less Pleasant Places. And this came out in 2001, and it was part of their uh, Cthulhu Now series. So it was set in contemporary, just like they did with Arkham and Innsmouth, and uh, they've thrown again, uh, thrown together a bunch of adventures for the game. But they made a gadgeteer, and they also made a creation of spells, books. Uh, and deities which are um, associated with uh, Ramsey Campbell. So if we associate Lovecraft with Cthulhu and the Necronomicon, and if we consider or we associate Clark Ashton Smith with the Book of Eben and that monster who I always mispronounce and that there's a entire podcast that the running gag is that I keep mispronouncing his name. And August Derelith with uh, the Seleno Fragments and Issaquah. Then Ramsey Campbell is forever going to be linked with Glocky and the Book of Glocky. Um, uh, Glocky comes from uh, probably Campbell's one of his better known stories, The Inhabitant of the Lake. And he's this great old one that lives in the bottom of uh, Lake Brychester, but he can appear anywhere because he's a great old one. He can show up in any lake. And he's kind of armadillo-looking, kind of, or sort of more of a slug kind of looking. But he has all these spikes. And if his cultists get you and they inhale you on the spike, then you come back as a, a zombie. Uh, and it really is creepy, I mean... I used him in my first ever Call of Cthulhu story I wrote, or, or adventure I wrote. Uh, he was, I used him again in one of my World War II, uh, Warehouse 23, Curbs campaign. Uh, one of the last um, uh, Call of Cthulhu adventures that I played in uh, was set with uh, Glocky as uh and it was a, a pre-canned adventure, but he, he's just such a, he's just a perfect set fit into the Cthulhu mythos, as well as, you know, any type of scary role-playing game, because of, you know, he's got these servants, he can make you into zombies, he's just scary, and, and he, he lives in, or at least one of his forms is in Campbell Country. Now, the most famous city in Campbell Country is going to be Goatswood. Now, I make a podcast in which I play a character of a person who lives on a goat farm who has this underground Illuminati base underneath it. 
Now, the truth is, I do live on a goat farm. It's not mine, it's not an Illuminati base, but... So, I love goats. Uh, I love the fact that they can be creepy, and they can be eerie, and they can almost make you think that they're possessed. So, Campbell does this, but he takes it up to 11. And so, Goatwood is basically the equivalent of Lovecraft's uh, in the mouth. But instead of the people having becoming fish-like, they become goat-like. Uh, and they also make these sort of evil-possessed uh, lawn gnomes that'll kill you. Now, Lovecraft had his Miskatonic University, and Campbell has his Brickshire University. Now, I don't want you to think just because there are similarities with Campbell country and Lovecraft country that Campbell just basically took Arkham County and dumped it in England. No, he really did give it its own sort of personal English identity and personality, even though he may have hedged some things on Lovecraft because he was his idol, he was influenced, but it truly is a very English version of the setting. One thing where Campbell has sort of more leeway and play with than Lovecraft was is time. You know, Lovecraft would go back to the colonial history of New England up to 200 years and he would talk about it and say how it influenced his stories or the events in his story. But if he wanted to go back farther than that, he had to talk about Native Americans. And let's face it, discussing and being subtle about ethnicities is not Lovecraft's strong point. Campbell, on the other hand, because he set this in England, he has hundreds and thousands and thousands of years of history to, to draw on Roman and Saxon and even, you know, Paleolithic prehistory, at least one setting, has creatures sort of coming in from that time to the present. And that is something that I think, you know, as a person looking in, Campbell had a pretty good understanding, or at least portrays a pretty good understanding, of English history. And that is what makes Campbell country so special. Campbell has this incredible understanding of Lovecraft and the mythos, and an incredible understanding of his homeland. And he fuses the two in this sort of perfect sync that even people like me, thousands of miles away, we can see both of those when we read it. My name is David Heath. Again, I write uh, Dave's Corner of the Universe as well as uh, write and star in Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans. And I hope to see you there and again here. Hey everyone, we're back. I know, I know. We didn't go anywhere. It's a podcast. It's not radio. Yeah, I know, I know. I just say that. 
I guess. So hey, I have Ken Height still, so we're going to talk to Ken Height some more. I recorded this a few days ago, and I hadn't watched Tiger King yet, so if you have Netflix and you want to watch uh, what seems to me feels like a bunch of meth-fueled Batman villains all themed around wild animals, but whew. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs> Grab some water here. That wasn't water. That was beer. <laughs> beer, beer, beer is, is water with other things. Yeah, but I don't know how long that beer's been open in my studio. <laughs> and uh, just with everyone sitting at home, do you have anything that uh, what are, what are you watching on Netflix? Anything that you can recommend or read or stuff out there <laughs> to help fill the time for people? Um, yeah, um, I've been. Uh, I, I haven't watched all of it. Um, I'm, I'm about halfway through a lot of Netflix shows and at some point I'm going to, you know, dive back into them. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, I started Money Heist way back in the day. This uh -huh. has got nothing to do with horror, but sure. it's, but it's a very good procedural and it's about, um, guys pulling the perfect heist and it's a Spanish TV show. Oh, cool. And, um, uh, and it's about these sort of heisters and of course it being a heist thing, something goes wrong. Um, and, and, and I think it gets a little more ridiculous later on, but you know, you can, uh, this is, this is the new age of television. You're not required to watch everything. Nice. You watch until you stop caring and then you can jump out. Um, <laughs> I, I would, um, uh, I would recommend the new Veronica Mars if uh -huh. people haven't seen that. Um, that's on the Hulus and, uh, it's, uh, it, it's super good. Uh, it's not very long, but that's kind of good, right? Yeah. We're, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the, the the sort of standard Netflix model where you have three episodes in 13 weeks, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. basically, where you got 13 shows and they've got about three episodes worth of story, and the rest is just sort of people talking to each other. Yeah, um, I'm not a big fan. Um, I am looking forward to diving into Netflix's uh, deep bench of mediocre horror thrillers, though. <laughs> um, I. I feel like uh, there has been a lot of mediocre horror made in the last couple of decades, and oh, I have yeah. not, uh, I have not plumbed it. I think my next one up, and I don't know if it's good. I suspect it's bad. Um, it's got a very dire Rotten Tomatoes rating. Um, is as above, so below, which oh. is about. Uh, it's a found footage, so that'll tell you how old <laughs> it is. Found footage films, yes. There's... Found footage film. Set in the Paris catacombs. <laughs> so, I literally don't care how bad it is now. And they're looking, I think, for uh, the Philosopher's Stone. Okay. Right? Oh, jeez. Nicholas Flamel buried in the in the in the catacombs. So it's like, oh, found footage Indiana Jones in the Paris catacombs for a dollar. You know, I I again, I I can't I can't wait. Uh, so yeah, it's it's it's. I think a lot of this is. No one sees you except the person who already knows and hates you. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> just watch garbage. Cool, cool. Right? I mean, don't talk about it on like a popular podcast or anything. Yeah. But just, you know, go watch some some nonsense. I have know, to the... recommend something to you and everyone else out there. I was a huge fan of the Dell, Donald Duck, and Scrooge McDuck comics as a kid. 
Oh, those were good, though. Those were legitimately great. And the new DuckTales that Disney Plus has put out, like, in the last couple of years, is it looks and feels like the old Dell comics. And they've it, it's like, hey, this is well-written. This isn't, like, the old DuckTales comic uh, cartoon that I grew up with where it was kind of dumb. <laughs> it's like... So this is strong Carl Barks energy, you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, good. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, you know, if you've got the Disney Plus, then you're... You're, you're you're set. Oh yeah, no, we've been watching the Star Wars. Yeah, uh, the kids have uh... Star Wars. You got your superheroes. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, National I mean, Geo, and it's all good. But this I mean... is also a time to find out uh, who the person that you are uh, quarantined with uh, has never seen The Dark Knight, for example. Oh yeah. And so it's like we're we're going through the Netflix looking for stuff, and uh, my lovely wife Sheila says, "The Dark Knight was that good," and I'm like, I. I, I can't even believe this marriage is happening. And <laughs> so we, we stopped the plan and we watched The Dark Knight. And of course, it was amazing. And uh, at the end, she says, I get why everyone was so off on about Heath Ledger. Like, yep, that's why. <laughs> but it's, it's also, it's really fun to watch a movie that you know backwards and forwards with someone who's never seen it before. Uh, so when um, uh, he's at the, at the big crime summit at the beginning and he puts the pencil down on the table, he says, I'm going to make this pencil disappear. And then um, uh, uh, when he makes it disappear, uh, Sheila lets out an audible gasp of excitement. <laughs> and of course, you and I have seen it between us probably 80,000 times. Sure. And so it's it's like, it's sort of a, yeah, I love that moment, as opposed to a, oh, the Joker's mad. And uh, <laughs> man, that was good. And then, uh, you know, and then you rediscover things like there's a line in there um, where they say there's nothing in his pockets but knives and lint. It's like, that is a great line. Many worse movies could be carried over the punch, uh, over the finish line by a line like that. Nothing in his pockets but knives and lint. That is terrific. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've uh, recently showed Sarah the uh, television cut for Dune, David Lynch's Dune. And yeah. some people some people are like, why would you do that to someone you love? And she's like, this is amazing. The set dressings are amazing. Yeah. The costuming's amazing. This film because is if amazing. You, if I'm you like, have an aesthetic eye, right? <laughs> if you are looking just for if you if you don't think of it as a narrative, mm -hmm. you think of it as a series of amazing paintings. Yes. Um a moving panorama. Lynch's, <laughs> Lynch's, exactly. Like one of those that you set down the big panorama of the Battle of Waterloo and exactly. then everyone would turn around so they could see it. That's exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. Good job. Well oh. done, DB. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then she's like, wow, Patrick Stewart's in this? I'm like, yeah. And she's yeah. like, oh, is this after? And I'm like, no, this is before Next Generation. She's like, he's yeah. always looked the same. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> he's a, he's a Scottish vampire. What's that? <laughs> Wait till she sees I, Claudius. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or he's like... got the insanely unconvincing curly toupee. <laughs> I was going to say Life Force. <laughs> I think he said Life Force. Life Force also strong. <laughs> um, uh, more Colin Wilson than Ramsey Campbell, but sure, also, sure, sure <laughs> knock it out. We should do a Colin Wilson day sometime. Oh, yeah. I can talk about you think I'm tiresome about uh, Ramsey Campbell. You just wait. <laughs> okay. Well, Ken, on that note, I think, you know what? Thank you so much for talking Ramsey Campbell with us and talking about ways to uh, keep from going crazy. Yeah. And, and yeah, no, no thank you again so much. Anytime.
All right, cool, cool. Maybe next time we can talk uh, Instant Pot recipes. <laughs> Absolutely, Instant Pot recipes. Um, or you can listen to my podcast, Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff, Ooh. Uh, available wherever podcasts are found, in which we have already talked about Instant Pot recipes. Not that we're fancy, but we did. Yeah, no, I've gotten some really good tips on Instant Pot from that. There we go. Yeah. So, uh, again, thanks so much for having me on, DB. It's always no, thank terrific you. to thank you. talk to you, especially now, I think think during our our global <laughs> time of of, uh, of quarantine and whatnot so uh stay good stay hunkered up with the beer in the basement oh yeah um uh, and uh i will talk to you next time you desperately need someone and your first choice bails on you <laughs> that hasn't happened yet <laughs> no no that's that's i i get other people to cover when when you're unavailable <laughs> like at dragon uh, meat or something <laughs> All right, Ken, thank you again so much. Absolutely happy to do it. Hey, that was Ken Height helping you figure out how to keep sane in this crazy time. Again, thank you so much for listening. Glad to be back. Glad my health is back. And I am able to put out a quality episode of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos Series 11. Episode 4? 3? I don't know. It'll, It'll be in the show notes. And, yeah, no, uh, thank you for listening. Check the show notes. Donate if you can. If you can't donate, just give a good review. Give a good review. And, yeah, wherever you listen, tell people about it. Play it and be like, oh, you can skip the guy. He uh, he, he rambles for the first 30, 30 minutes. No, I'm kidding. He rambles for the first three minutes, but you can skip that. And also, check out the shop. We've got some cool new t-shirts. I'm always working on shirts. I've had a lot of spare time lately to work on shirts. And also a RPG that I've been working on for, I don't know, I think I, I, I mention it like every two or three episodes that I'm working on. Anyway, but we'll hear more about that in the upcoming future. But it's it's looking a lot better. All right. Thank you again so much. And join us next month when we're talking about something spooky, I'm sure. And don't forget to listen to Dave's Corner of the Universe. We also have Articulate Warbling with Zach Ferguson, which I also produce, and Laura. Um, I don't produce Laura. I just produce the show with Zach and Laura. And also Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans for when Dave uh, produces enough stuff for me to put out an episode for him about that. And I don't know, you know, just keep safe. And, uh, yeah, uh, next month... uh, or tomorrow is going to be Wizard of Oz, uh, Frank L. Baum, The Wonderful World of Oz, all 24 chapters in six days. And we're going to be doing all five books about Dorothy, where Dorothy plays a prominent role in the books. And yeah, and maybe we'll get a Wizard of Oz expert on. I don't know. I don't know too many Frank Baum experts, but hey, maybe Ken Height knows something. I don't know. We'll find out. Thank you again. Keep weird, stay squiggly, and uh, keep squiggly and stay weird, whichever one you want to do. And, you know, stay indoors. Wash your hands. Don't be racist. Be awesome and support those people around you. Maybe shout, you know, to the person behind you, hey, how you doing? Y'all right there? And maybe they're like, yeah, we're good, but we have too many beans. And you can be like, oh, that's cool. We have uh, not enough beans, but man, do we, do we have a lot of, uh, lot of corn? 
And then, then like someone down the way can be like, hey, I will trade you sheep for corn. And you can be like, well, I don't have corn, but I have wood. And, you know, it'll be like settlers of Catan, but in your backyards or in your apartment complex. And, you know, um, use remote control cars to move stuff around if, like, you're an... I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to problem solve. I need to eat breakfast. I love you all. Squiggly, weird. You know what to do. Stay and keep. <laughs>